Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello there, guys. Hope you're well. We're back again with another episode in this beautiful game podcast and Eurosport collaboration. As ever, I'm your host, Budge, joined by my faithful two co-conspirators, Dot and Dej. And we've also got Pete from Eurosport. Gents, how are we doing this fine evening? Very All well. good. Very All good. Great stuff. Great stuff. Now, we, of course, hoped that this uh, round of Champions League fixtures would have a lot of uh, interesting talking points and things for us to uh, wrap our, our, our heads around and discuss uh, on this platform. And, of course, I think it's safe to say that the majority of those fixtures certainly delivered with a lot of talking points from each of those games. And of course, we're going to dissect each of those games and, and, and share our thoughts. So we're going to kick things off with you, Pete, and uh, start us off with your thoughts on that, uh, that Juve-Porto game. I think before we go into this specifically, one thing I felt and, and noticed was that there were the common theme um, for this round of fixtures seems, seemed to be dubious penalty decisions. I'll, I'll leave it there and I'll let you uh, you kick off with, with your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think there were obviously a couple tonight as well that I think we need to talk about as well. The penalty, yeah, it's, it's, it's not great. And I think with every penalty that was awarded over today and yesterday, you just wonder and worry about where the game's going. And I know we need, I know, I know we need to use VAR to make the right decisions. I was someone who was a big champion of VAR before it came in. I thought it would really help the game in the way the goal line technology did, but the, the lack of clarity is just staggering. Um, but talking about actual football, because um, I can't bother to talk about that anymore, um, <laughs> I think the standout for me from this game is that it's probably time to say that the Cristiano Ronaldo experiments failed for Juventus, and it's been a waste of money, um, and they are no closer to winning the Champions League than they were before he arrived. If anything, they're actually further away now. Um, and it's sort of... I think there's no denying that Ronaldo is one of the two or three greatest players of all time. I don't think anyone would dispute that. But a lot of people at the time of the move said that it was a risk from him because he had such a unique situation at Real Madrid that was completely catered to play to his strengths. And Juventus as a team weren't used to that. In fact, the great Juventus teams of the past were great because they were teams, not because they had necessarily the best players around. And that's proven to be the case. They can't figure out a way to get him and Paolo Dybala playing well at the same time. They've brought a whole load of expensive wingers in, of which one, Chiesa's worked. Um, 
the defense is getting older and it's just i don't know i just i look at it now and i think you invested so much money into him and you're now at a stage where you're at the champions league and you're possibly going to lose Serie A. and i don't know i if i was juventus i'd be making some calls around to see if anyone wants to take him off your hands this summer yeah to be fair like when I look at Juventus's team, you know, I always look at the spine to analyse whether their team's good enough to win the Champions League. And I look at Chesney, in my opinion, he's not a top goalkeeper. Benucci, he's getting old. You've got Arthur in the midfield, who they took off Barcelona. I'm still not convinced by him. And you've got Ronaldo, you know, an ageing Ronaldo. Is that mm. good enough? I mean, when I watched the game yesterday, I thought this was going to be one of those games where Juventus turn it around and win the game because Porto, let's be honest, they're inferior side compared to Juventus. But the way the game transpired, like, I was shocked. I was shocked. When Porto took the lead, I was thinking, wow, okay, this is a serious game. Then when obviously Juventus equalised through Chiesa, I was expecting normal service to resume. Then obviously the red card happened and you think, yeah, uh uh-oh, this is it. Juventus are going to turn this tie on his head. Then... Obviously, they got the 2-1 and you're thinking, okay, you know, they're going to go through. Mm. Then the pendulum swung. At times during the game, it was almost as if Juventus were playing with 10 men and Porto had the 11 men. And <laughs> like Juventus's footballing strategy doesn't make sense to me. It seems to be, get the ball to Quadrado, he's going to whip it in. is mm. going to be on the back post. Ronaldo, mm. you're going to drop the deep, dribble and shoot. And it's, you know, for the money they've spent, that's not good enough, in my opinion. But mm. after a while, I genuinely, genuinely thought that I was watching a basketball match. It was literally like just up and down, up and down. And I'm like, come on, Juventus, you're playing against 10 men. You need to be controlling the game here. This doesn't make sense. You're the better team than Porto. Dominate the game and mm. eventually you'll get your winner. But I think just to talk on Porto quickly, Sergio Oliveira, this is a player that I remember watching in the Euros under 21s. And he was Portugal's shining star with Bernardo Silva. And I'm just so happy for, to see him playing well for Porto and, you know, winning them the game yesterday. But mm. I recall at the end of the first leg, I said that Juventus are further than ever when it comes to, you know, competing or winning the Champions League. And I've been proven right. Mm. I backed Porto to win and they knocked out Juventus. So as, as Pete said, the Ronaldo experiment hasn't worked out. And I think, I think this is the beginning of the end for Cristiano Ronaldo at Juventus, mm. to be fair. Can we get a bit of love for Pepe as well, though, quickly? Just like, yeah, I mean, that, oh, and, and Chancellor um, Bamba as well. Um, I mean, yeah, both yeah. of those were like, immense. I mean, Pepe's nearly, he's 38, for God's sake. And he's, he was <laughs> flying in there as if he was a very young man whose knees aren't about to explode. <laughs> yeah. I just, I just, I'm, he's, I've, I've never, I've never interviewed him or been around him, but everyone who has seems to talk about this guy who like goes from Wattweiler to little like puppy when he's off the pitch. He's just so nice and so friendly. And I sort of got a little, of a, soft, a little bit of a soft spot for that. I love it when, you know, you get these typical hard men who are actually just as soft as anything off it because I think it's mm. just a nice little juxtaposition. But, mm. I mean, I remember when Raul let him go and there was a suggestion that he was finished and he wouldn't do it. And I think almost in many ways, him going back to Porto, I think a lot of people sort of treated it as like a charity case and they were just giving him the chance to play in Portugal again for one of the big three. But he's been anything but. And obviously Benfica have been dominating recently in Portugal, but Porto rebuilt themselves and they're obviously not at the levels they were under Jose Mourinho or even Andre Villas-Boas but like, they are doing something there and I think having someone like Pepe who's won at the highest level can help mm-hmm. them do that and I think especially with the Ica Casillas thing 
with his heart condition. I just think having Pepe in there to keep everything level-headed, I really don't think that often enough we appreciate the sort of leadership and experience that those players can bring. And I think, I mean, I, I don't know. I wouldn't want to play them in the next round. Like they are, they're a tricky team. I think they obviously benefit from Juventus' struggles, but they're going to be tough for anyone, I think. I don't think there's very few teams I make them favourite against, but you wouldn't want to play them. Yeah, think- there was that chance, you know, with Chiesa. You would think he was narrowing in to scoring that goal. Then up steps Pepe. Pepe and yeah. Pepe is someone that's seen as a villain. You know, football <laughs> fans love to hate him. You know, we remember him in the El Clasico, stepping on Messi's ankle, rolling around. But this was a performance, <laughs> the master of the dark arts. But I think this was football at its purity. You know, defending well, you know, heading the ball, leading your defence. I mean, as Budge mentioned, Chancellor Mbemba, we all remember him from his time at, you know, Newcastle was a bit of a nomad. People were saying, yeah, he's not really a good defender, but he stepped up to the fore and he produced. Mm. And I have to disagree a bit with Pete. I think Porto are probably one of the soft touches, you know, in the Champions League. <laughs> I think every big team will be licking their chops and hoping that they draw them out of the hat because... I can't wait till we talk about them knocking out Liverpool in the next round. <laughs> 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 now well, we'll what, see, but yeah, go on. No, but what, what I would say about the manager, Sergio Consensao, this is the next player for Porto. And you can see when they were down to 10 men, they just ran through brick walls for him. And I'm so happy they they got the job done for him but last point on Juventus and it goes back to what Dez said earlier about Chesney I'm yet to be convinced by him as a top goalkeeper I think when you're going into a team like Juventus to be able to win that Champions League to to jump that final hurdle you need a world-class goalkeeper and for me Chesney doesn't fit that standard. Just on that point Dot is it fair to apportion the blame entirely to Chesney for the uh, the second uh, Oliveira goal. So, of course, that free kick that was quite some distance out. What? Where do you stand on that? Is that the, the, the fault of the goalkeeper or should the wall have done a better job of, of defending well, that, that, that if set If you're a top goalkeeper, you have to stop that. If, 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 I'm a, if I'm a player and I see my goalkeeper concede a goal to that standard, I'll be looking at what the heck are you doing because this isn't good mm-hmm. enough. Like a top goalkeeper stops that, Allison, Edison, Testegen, they're saving their team there. And I think that's the difference between good and world class. Chesney's not, not going to save games for Juventus, unfortunately. Moving on to another game that was equally as uh, intense and, and interesting as um, the game between Juve and, and Porto. And that was, of course, uh, Dortmund and, and Sevilla. Um, ultimately, um, it was yet again the Erling Haaland show. Um, and the guy just continues to break records. So um, here, I, I've got it in my notes that he uh, reached uh, 20 career Champions League goals in his 14th game, which is the fewest amount of games any player has, has taken to reach that mark. And he's also become the first player in Champions League history to score at least two goals in four consecutive appearances in the competition, as well as the youngest player to score six in, to score in six straight uh, matches. Like, I mean, (laughs) what, what record is there left for him to break? Honestly, him and Mbappe are just, yeah, him and Mbappe are doing something special, but yeah, just to go into the game, um, I watched that and the first 35 minutes, Sevilla actually camped Dortmund into their half. 
it was exclusively played in their half. And I thought Acuna, Lucas, Acampos were causing problems down that left-hand side. And, you know, Emre Chan was sort of playing himself into problems. I think that's one thing I've noticed with German teams defensively. There's a lot of gaps. And I saw that on the weekend when I was watching the El Clasico mm. in Dortmund versus Bayern Munich. And some of those shades sort of brought themselves into this game. But again, that man, Erling Haaland, you know, scoring a goal to put the game beyond Sevilla. I mean, it was a mistake, uncharacteristic from Sevilla. We saw them start with confidence. But Jules Kunde and Suso got into a bit of a mishmash and sort of hurt Haaland just punished them sort of thing. And I think... The problem with Dortmund is going forward, we know what they can do. Holland, Sancho, Marco Royce, that's not a problem. They will score the goals. But defensively, for me, there's too many deficiencies. Hummels, he's been a decent defender, but I don't think he's got that sort of mobility to contend with the likes of the Mbappes. Emre Chan, we saw him at his time at Liverpool. He's played centre-back, but in a two, he didn't convince me yesterday. He... He had a lot of errors and lapses in concentration. But I think Sevilla will probably have rued that game because they had so many chances to put the game beyond Dortmund, especially in that first half. But they were very charitable. But yeah, Erling Haaland, you know, makes his mark again. Mm. Yeah, he, he doesn't make sense. You know, when you get to the <laughs> end of your mass paper and you're all the Pythagoras' theories and all of that, and you're like... <laughs> This doesn't make sense. Like that's 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 Erling Haaland. I mean, the guy is just a machine, and I think he can be whatever he wants to be in world football because the records that he's breaking at such a young tender age, it just makes you think: What's he going to do in the next three, four years? I see him mm. dominating the game. Big win for Dortmund as well. Like you think of who the players that are missing: No Axel Witzel, No Jaden Sancho, Rafa Guerrero, Gio mm. Reyna. Like, I, I think I, mean, I don't know, but. It's almost a bit of an accident, really. Like their focus is purely on getting back into this competition next year. Like I don't think they're prioritizing getting any further. I mean, they have got to be self-aware enough to know that they're not realistically going to get to the final. Maybe the last four, if they get a lucky draw in the next round, maybe Porto. Based on what Tim <laughs> saying, <laughs> um, I think I think um, I think what this does show, especially for some, for Marco Rose, who's obviously coming in next year, is that this isn't a rebuild. Like this is a team which is more or less capable of pushing Bayern in the Bundesliga. We saw that at the weekend and they can strut their stuff in Europe as well. And I think, as Dej said, I think you just need a little bit more in the defence and they can probably get back to where they think they probably should be. So I wouldn't be too concerned about them. I'm a little bit worried about Sevilla though, because they are now at the Copa del Rey, now out of the Champions League. They're slipping in La Liga. They're really at risk of losing out of the Champions League next season. Um, obviously we were raving about them in January for bringing in Papa Gomez, but... Is, I don't know, there's something going on there. I think Lopetegui needs to be a bit careful here because I don't. he won't get fired because he's done a decent enough job, but mm. they will really position themselves to be the best of the rest in Spain, that, that fourth team, and then really push away from the likes of Real Sociedad or Villarreal. But mm. they've got to be careful here because very quickly your season can go here. And I yeah. think just a very quick mention to Jude Bellingham. Fantastic again yesterday. I was actually speaking... 17 years of age. 17 years of age. I was actually speaking to an FA registered intermediary today and he was saying, listen, Jude Bellingham, he's going to be in the under-21 squad for the Euros this summer. But this guy, he's going to be a future star for England because he's got the temperament, he's got the talent, he's got the energy and he's the next big thing in England. Do you reckon he'll end up costing more than Sancho? No. 
I, mm. I think I think it's possible because I think Sancho is going to go on the cheap and probably this summer because of everything that's gone on at Dortmund this year. He, I think it's quite clear that he wants to go come back to the Premier League. But I think Bellingham could be there for another two or three years, and I could just see someone like City or United dropping an absolute fortune on him when he's still got three or four years left in his contract. <laughs> yeah, I think he's got. Yeah, I think he's got another probably four years at Dortmund. I would say until he's probably 21, 22. And as you mentioned, Pete Sancho. Obviously, his stock might have fallen a bit from the previous summer, and all the all the rumors you hear from Dortmund is that they're looking to cash in, and whether they're going to get that 120 million, I don't think so, in my opinion. Mm. Yeah, be certainly one that's interesting to keep tabs on in 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 the near future. I think he certainly has benefited from um, notable absentees, like you mentioned, Pete um, uh, Axel Witzel, for example. Um, and the fact that he's had a, a prolonged run in, in the team certainly has, has helped him in terms of his, his progress and development this, this year. I think um, it would have been safe to say at the start of the season that he would have been uh, a bit part player and involved here and there. But the fact that he's, he's been so ever present, I think he's, he's really come, come on leaps and bounds um, in, in, in that short space of time. I, I actually wanted to go back to a, a point that uh, Dej uh, made earlier. Um, regarding the, the defenders, and in particular Emre Chan, I thought it was a bit harsh um, on, on Emre Chan. I think he had a, a fa- I think he had a decent game, um, but there were. I think it was it was the fact that the the errors that he made were so notable. But but again, like the, the penalty decision, I, I felt it was a bit soft. Again, I think it was a a bit of a dubious decision. However, on the flip side for Sevilla. Uh, someone that um, uh, Dot has spoken about previously uh, in Jules Kunde. I think um, we definitely need to have a spotlight shone on him because, of course, in recent weeks we've we, we've you know heard rumours linking him to Manchester United and a big money move to the Premier League. And and I can't say that I've uh, watched him closely uh, playing for Sevilla so far this season, but on the occasions that I have seen him play. It just seems like he's got a bit of an error in him. And I just wonder if maybe now might not necessarily be the right time for him to get a move like that. Because I think, you know, if he's showing those kind of um, you know, errors in his game in the Champions League, I just wonder if he, if he was to come to the Premier League where it's, it's a completely different ball game, you know, a completely different beast. Is, is, it, is it the right time for him to make that step? And again, Bud, you mentioned the sample size. We don't watch him week in, week out. Mm. But one thing you can say is that maybe on the big stage against the better players, he struggles. But that's something that can get ironed out. He's still a young player, to be Mm. honest. And as you mentioned, that first goal for Dortmund, he was clearly at risk. Or he was clearly Mm. at fault, should I say. Take control of the situation. What are you waiting for? Why are you shielding the ball? And I thought Carlos as well looked a bit rocky. Like he's someone else that's been linked with a move Mm. to the Premier League. And... Yeah, like, I don't know, but yeah, it was, it was shocking. That wraps up the, the games from Tuesday evening and, and on to Wednesday evening, of course, um, PSG were, were hosting Barcelona. And from the, the results of the, the first leg, it, it certainly felt as though the tie was sort of um, dead and buried. Um, but in, in, in the early exchanges of that game, it certainly felt like some old demons were uh, uh, rearing their ugly heads, um, certainly on the part of, of PSG. Um, Pete, we're going to go to you on this one. What were your thoughts on that game? I'm glad you mentioned the demons, because I think all the headlines you're going to see on social media and various websites is going to be how PSG 
exercised their demons, they banished their ghosts, and they obviously made up for that horrendous match against Barcelona in the past. But I mean, they were they were holding the door open for the demons. They were trying to wave those demons in. They were trying <laughs> they were trying to let them come. They were trying to let them come through, and Barcelona just couldn't push the demons through the door. I mean, Usman Dembélé had at least four chances of his own. Lionel Messi missed a penalty. There were other chances. Griezmann had a couple. Sergio Dest had one, an amazing save by Callum Navas that he tipped onto the bar. I mean, Barcelona could have done this. It was there. I mean, obviously, you don't know how the game would have changed if Barca had got to the second goal or the third goal. And credit to Mauricio Pochettino, he realised that was a problem. And after the break, they were a lot better, a lot more compact. But those first 20, 30 minutes, as you said, it was unbelievable the way that they were tearing them through. And obviously, we've been sort of seeing this little mini renaissance from Barcelona in the last couple of weeks. And I just think... They've got, to, they've got to look back at this and think that they've missed the trick there because I think as good as PSG were in taking their chances in the first leg, Barca just couldn't do the same because they could have forced this game to extra time at the very least. And obviously, they're going to feel hard done by, but the penalty is another very strange decision. Um, not, that their, not that their penalty was any better, to be honest. It was <laughs> strange that one foul was a yellow card, the other one wasn't a yellow card when you'd argue that the PSG foul was actually probably more of a yellow card, but obviously because I was on a, penalty, on a, yellow, sorry, on a yellow card already, so you imagine Antitella doesn't want to give a red card, but that's not really how it should be done in the rules yeah. of the game. So, yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, I think Barca have probably got to just take this as a positive into their last couple of months of the season. They could potentially end up as double winners. Obviously, Atletico won their game in hand earlier today, yeah. so the gap is now six. But they can do it still. Um, but yeah, it's still a bit. They have such a weird team, Barcelona. So weird, like. There's so many good young players there. And then you've obviously got Messi, Jordi Alba, Marc-Andre Testegen. And then in the middle, it's just sort of really Frankie de Jong and that's about it. And <laughs> I can't I can't tell whether it's going to be a situation this summer where they can actually just retool and really like challenge next year or whether Messi's going to go and it's actually going to be quite a big rebuild. But yeah, I, I think... Really I think that was the last dance for Messi. Like, I don't see him <laughs> playing for Barcelona next season. Now, honestly, because all the rumours you hear in terms of Barcelona not having money to spend, and as you mentioned, this is a team that they've got a mishmash of players. You've got some experienced players, younger players coming in. But is Lionel Messi going to want to be there for a bit of a rebuild? I don't think so. Now, and when you've got teams like PSG, Manchester City, he wants to win the Champions League. And let's be honest, after what Messi's done throughout his career, he deserves to be on that top table competing against those teams. And I don't think Barcelona have got the money. And when you look around in terms of the election, the presidential stuff, like it's clear that he doesn't want to be there. And he showed that last summer. Would that have changed throughout this season? I'm not sure, in my opinion. Mm. It's the first think, time, it's the, sorry, just quickly, Doc, before you come in, it's the first time since 2005, I think, that the, neither Ronaldo and Messi are going to win the quarterfinals. Which is crazy. And it's telling yeah. as well, to be honest, that obviously we're coming into a new era, the Mbappe, Holland era, Neymar, Sancho, all these younger players can start coming to the fore and making their mark on, on the top mm. table. Now, I can't understand how Pete is saying that this may be a positive for Barcelona because when I look at the scoreline, it's 5-2 on aggregate and this is not the Barcelona that we know. When I look at the starting eleven, it's pretty average. If we're being honest, like this is a bad Barcelona team, probably the worst we've seen in the last fifteen years. So I think PSG won comfortably, five two on aggregate. They were missing their best player, that is Neymar. And to be honest, I think Barcelona have gone out with a bit of a whimper here. If I'm being totally honest, 
what I would say is a sense of perspective is needed here because this is much better than where they were in the autumn when they were getting beaten by pretty much anyone who fancy turning up and beating them. So the fact that they could hold their own against PSG, that's a win for them right now. Everything's what it, I think what it shows and is goes to what you were saying there, Dot, is that actually it's it's a sign of how far they've fallen. Like they've they're not this is a team that historically at least in our lifetimes, has been one that is always challenging at Europe's top table and same for Spain. And they're not just, they're not quite there yet. And we obviously, the decline in some ways, is actually like watching someone go through a slow, agonising death, really. Like it hasn't come out <laughs> of nowhere. We've sort of watched this now. And I think, the, re- the reason why I think they've got to be pleased is because I think they just, because they just, after the first leg, you worried about them going to Paris and it being three or four more. I think that was the concern they could just do exactly the same thing again PSG and they also mm. made a fight of it I, thought, I honestly thought they'd just, they'd just give it up and, and I know I you, think, that's, a, yeah. I know that's a bad thing to say about professional <laughs> footballers but I honestly thought they would mm. just, just come and play like a nice conservative game and try and get a 1-0 or 2-0 win yeah, I think we have to credit PSG because mm. they played the Barcelona that we know today not the reputation because they could have easily struggled in this game and made it a 50-50 game and you know potentially got knocked out but they were professional and they ended up putting Barcelona to the sword pretty convincingly. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't think you should be really praising Barcelona for turning up <laughs> when the tie is over, in my opinion. And also, we haven't spoken about the mental dynamic for PSG because that's tough. Coming yeah, it's tough. You're winning four-one, you're thinking, okay, should I stick or twist there? Obviously, we don't need to win the game. We could lose it one or two. So how do we approach that? And that's a dynamic that would have been difficult for them. So really, if they really needed to step on the gas, I think that would have been there for them. Obviously, Barcelona were playing the football, had their chances. But I think psychologically, it's not like it was a nil-nil one-off game. The game would already been won. I do worry about a team that's trying to push for Champions League titles and still starting Levin Kozawa at left-back. I just... I just that just that's just not gonna end well. I mean he's he gave away two he gave away two penalties across the two legs and really he could have maybe given away one more. I I've, as I think it seems to always discuss about Dortmund. Their attack is fine. You know it's always gonna be fine. Mm. But that defense is inconsistent. Sometimes they rock up and Marquinhos gives a display that is like a young Thiago Silva, and you're like, Good lord, that's amazing. But other times they rock up and the only reason they don't concede is because Keller Navas has a blinder. Like the pieces are there, but I think they're still they're still a little bit... If you consider City and Bayern as the two favourites for the Champions League, I think PSG are actually just still a notch below. They're not in that tier. Mm. Very, very interesting one. I think certainly on that point around how the mighty have fallen on the part of Barcelona, you know, you, you remember rolling back the years and 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 remember Iniesta and Xavi in, in that midfield and, 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 you know, part of that spine of, of, of that midfield. Uh, and, and now they've got really, really young... Uh, quite small, slight, diminutive players like Ricky Puig and, and Pedri, and and with a lack of funds uh, available for for them to strengthen the squad, you just wonder how exactly they're going to be able to strengthen the, the spine of that team again. I think going back to what, uh, a point that Dot made, a, a very uh, uh, interesting point about uh, PSG missing their best player. I think there's there's quite a few people that will argue that uh, the best player um, was on the pitch in, in Kylian Mbappe. And, and on Kylian Mbappe, and, and speaking about records, of course, we were speaking about the fact that he and um, Erling Haaland will, will have this competition between the two of them for years to come, similar to the uh, Lionel Messi and, and Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, his goal tonight made, meant that uh, Kylian Mbappe is the youngest player ever 
to score 25 goals in the in the Champions League. I'm sure in the next round, Erling Haaland's going to uh, tell everyone to hold his beer um, and, 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 and come to the fore. But again, just really interesting to see the dynamic between the two of those and, and that passing of the, of the torch is, is already well underway. Liverpool and Leipzig, of course, Liverpool went into this uh, uh, second leg comfortably in the lead with those two away goals. Um, and so really just needed to, uh, to turn up, of course, um, with their form at home, most certainly in the Premier League of, of late, it, it might have been one that um, was, was a bit edgy, but ultimately they came away winners. H how important do you guys feel? And, and, and uh, Dej, we're going to go to you to kick us off on this one. How, how important do you feel that win was for Liverpool and, and specifically with the, 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 the slightly barren run that Mane and, and Salah have, have been on recently, you know, by their very lofty standards, how important was it for those, those two to get on the score sheet? Yeah, you mentioned at home, Butch, but obviously, as we know, the game was played in Hungary in Budapest. Yeah. So it wasn't actually home, but yeah, that's a massive win. And I think the manner of it, it was a domineering, dominating win. Um, Leipzig weren't in the game. Their performance sort of confused me, to be honest, because they didn't really lay a glove on Liverpool. And when they came up against each other, I expect Liverpool to do that to Leipzig. That's not the style of football they have trouble against. It's the teams that can defend in a compact low block and then spring off on a counter-attack. And Leipzig didn't really pose any problems until after the half-time. But the main issue, because... <laughs> Liverpool needed to score goals. That was the main problem. You know, too many chances were wasted. You know, Mane, Salah, Jota, all guilty of missing guilt-edged <laughs> chances. It was shocking at times, you know. Salah had that shot. Mane headed into the ground. You're thinking, what is going on? These are guys that were putting teams to the sword last season. How have you lost your magic touch? And it's even interesting you talk about the, the Baron run at home because I was speaking to a player that's actually visited Anfield in the last few days, stroke weeks. And I said, like, what's different about this Liverpool to previous Liverpool teams? And, you know, sort of summarising these words is that this Liverpool now, they will probably put you under a wave of attacks, whereas the Liverpool from before, it's a 90-minute barrage. So, and the conversations in the dressing room isn't about, okay, how can we stop Liverpool? Like, how do we stop Robbo? How do we stop Trent? How do we defend deep to negate? Mane and Salah. It's more about, no, how can we impose ourselves on Liverpool? We can get some joy. They're not the force they once had, once were. They've mm. lost this cloak of invincibility. And I was a bit surprised that Leipzig didn't yeah. really get the memo when in Cuckoo at times, 1v1 against Trent and it'll revert back. I was thinking, like, what are you doing? Attack. Try and beat your man. Try and get some joy. But obviously from a Liverpool perspective, that's what the doctor ordered, you know, and Hopefully going forward for Liverpool, like the Champions League can be that sort of get out clause and they can find some good memories because to be fair, Liverpool can win this competition, in my opinion. They can win it. And I think the crucial point will be this um, international break that's coming up. I think they need a bit of rest, respite, introspection, everyone go away, then reconvene, then go hard for the rest of the season. Mm. I'm really disappointed with RB Leipzig. I expected so much more. I think this is a Liverpool team that are devoid of confidence. Go out there and stamp your authority on the game. And I just didn't see that over the two legs. 
Sabitza, who I like, you know, as, as a top player. And I think he's meant to be showing that leadership in the midfield, showing Liverpool, like, listen, I'm going to dominate this game and we're going to put you on the back foot. But I think RB Leipzig, it just wasn't good enough. And I think, going back to Deji's point on Kunde, Daya Opperman Kano again today, I just was not convinced. I mean, there was, <laughs> there was an opportunity at the end of the first half when yeah. he nearly gave Jota an open goal. And I'm like, look, this is meant to be the next best top centre-back in the world. Show me more. And anytime I see him in the Champions League, he leaves a lot to be desired. But from a Liverpool perspective, I think that just shows the importance of Fabinho. You put him in defensive midfield, in my opinion, the best defensive midfielder in the world. And then you see Thiago get back to his best straight away because Liverpool are winning the ball high up. Thiago is recycling the play. Salah is getting in behind. And I think this game shows that Fabinho will play defensive mid for the rest of the season going forward now. I, I can't see Klopp mm-hmm. putting him back at centre-back. Mm-hmm. Certainly an interesting one. Um I had two two questions that I wanted to ask, and I'll go to to both of you um, with with one each. Um, the the first one is how important is uh, the return of Diogo Jota at this point in time? What does he add to this Liverpool attack? In, in your point of view, uh, I'll, I'll go to you on this one, Dej. Jota is key. I mean, in terms of just the psychological pressure that he puts on the front three. Let's face it. When Jota is out, Mane, Salah, Firmino, they know they're starting. They might get dropped for one game, but they know it's not sustainable. When Jota's about, they know that can turn into five to ten games because he does a job. He's direct. He counter-presses correctly. He harasses teams. And more importantly, he scores goals. And that's the commodity you want. And we saw that with the second goal. You know, the link up, the chemistry between the three. That's something that will give the team confidence going forward. And at this rate, I don't see Bobby Firmino returning to the team because Jota, even before his injury, this turned into a front four, not a front three. So mm-hmm. he is key. Absolutely. Okay. And the other one was just around... So you made a really interesting point earlier, Dej, when you were talking about the team, you know, be feel, seeming a bit jaded and, and, and this international break being really important for everyone to sort of rest and recoup. So, so coming to you on this one, Dot, I mean, from from my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, I've seen different um, players in the defence for Liverpool getting some some time off to to, to rest and whatnot. I think recently uh, Alexander-Arnold was was rested. But the the constant has been um, Andy Robertson at at left-back. And I think in the game today uh, against Leipzig, he was only substituted right at the death. I think it was like in the 89th minute for... For Simikas, and, and to be fair, when Simikas came on, he, he you know he showed some really really encouraging signs. Um, do you find that a potential concern that Robertson hasn't been given much time to, to to rest? Could could that be sort of wearing him out quite a bit? Yeah, I think it's a massive concern. I've been saying this for the last few weeks. Why did you bring in Simikas if you're not going to play him? And I think that's the difference between Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola. Jurgen Klopp gives his fringe players the opportunity to show that they're good enough. So now when the fringe players come in, the standard of the team doesn't drop. Whereas Klopp, he's stubborn and he likes his best 11, 12 players. And after that, he doesn't give many other players opportunities. So that's why when you see an Oxlade-Chamberlain come in, they're off the pace. Shakiri comes in for one or two games. He's off the pace because 
he doesn't rotate rotate the team accordingly. Whereas Pep Guardiola, Phil Foden knows if he doesn't play well, Riyad Mahrez comes in. Riyad Mahrez knows if he doesn't play well, Bernardo Silva comes in. And I think that's the difference between Liverpool and Man City. Liverpool players mm-hmm. know that they may not perform, but they're going to start next week. And I think that's been Liverpool's downfall this season. The players are physically shot. Mm-hmm. 100% and, and really, really valid point. And, and I, I know, you know, you guys have, have mentioned that, that, that there is enough strength in that Liverpool side to, to go all the way in the competition. Um, but ultimately, that, that point about rotation is really, really key. Um, but it certainly will be interesting after this inter- in, in international break, um, you know, and, and these players get a much needed rest um, when they come back. You know, hopefully we, we, we do see uh, some revitalised performances and, and, and Liverpool return into, you know, the energetic, um, high octane levels of performance that we, we, we've all come to, 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 to love and, and, and adore from them. Thank you guys for your takes and your views and, your, and opinions. And, and thank you for everyone who's um, listened back to, to this episode. We'll uh, be back in the next round of, of fixtures again to share our thoughts uh, and talking points from the games. Um, for now, that's the Eurosport and Beautiful Game podcast collaboration. Over and out. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 